Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, Gators get on the right side of the bubble last night in a bubblicious win over uh, Mississippi State, and they do it shorthanded. Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to see exactly where that um, kind of moves the Gators, not trying to start the show off on a negative note or anything. I mean, hey, that game last night was the most fun, I you know, I think we've probably had since the Gators beat Ohio state. So um, awesome win, not trying to take anything away from it, but uh, kind of looking at the metrics, uh, I, I mean, the Gators end up, uh, I, I think gaining like one spot in Ken Palm, one spot in Bart Torvik. Um, I haven't looked at the net so far today. Um, so we'll see there. So, so again, it's just, it's just so unfortunate really that that Mississippi state um, lost or, you know, I don't want to say lost some games. They shouldn't have, they did a couple, but I, I mean, just like without Tolu Smith, not playing to their potential. I think that they are much better than the metrics show. So I sadly don't think at the moment, this, uh, this Gators win is kind of looks as good as it, uh, uh, as good as it actually kind of was um, for the team to execute the way they did offensively um, for the way for them to obviously step up without Colin Castleton. Um, I thought it was fantastic. Um, like I said, uh, the most, uh, the most fun I've had watching a Gators game for sure um, since the Ohio state win. Yeah, I would agree. I thought Florida uh, played quite well. I thought the Auburn game was pretty fun, but the result was less fun. This was uh better because Florida came out on the right side. I also think, you know, um, and I guess it's, it's sort of related to the point that you just made is this was a more important game for Florida than it was for Mississippi state. Like it was a quad one opportunity. I thought for Miss state. Um, but you know, what Florida couldn't afford to do is lose to another team that was on the bubble with them at home. Uh, and at the end of the day, in March, the committee's not going to care that Colin Castleton was out if Florida loses. Uh, so I thought kind of as close to a must win as Florida was going to have this early in the year. And obviously uh, to come up with the victory was a big deal. Um, and Florida does it with a 23 to eight run down the stretch um, after falling behind by seven. So, I mean, I said I didn't look at the net rankings. Of course, that's like, you know, five seconds of work to, to do it. So I did just like, and the Gators actually did jump four spots in the net, um, which is pretty huge. They're up to 40 now. Um, there's obviously no magic number here for, for what the Gators need to get. But if you're in the um, like 31, 32, 33 range, that's usually when you start to see high major teams um, falling out of la at large consideration. Again, there's no hard and fast rule. There's no cutoff. But just looking at the the last couple of years, um, if the Gators want to feel um, pretty comfortable on Selection Sunday, they've they've got to be you know I would say higher than 33. And if they're sitting at you know 33, that that's that's not a great place to be. Um, so just a note on that um, where they may sit in the bubble kind of conversation um, as we speak. But uh, yeah, down the stretch for them to I, I, again just get uh, um, I would say especially the player I was most you know encouraged for and excited for was was Tyree Appleby because he got to kind of the best form of of Tyree Appleby and that's when he's hitting those big shots off the dribble and obviously those have not really been falling for him this year um turnovers have become a problem and that got him out of the starting lineup but you just see when he's on his ability to create space on on some of these jump shots and then obviously hit them uh, it's it's incredible, and that's kind of what you need to be able to do as a as a smaller, shiftier guard in the SEC. So, um, looking back at those those clips, watching the game this morning on on Thursday, uh, it was just incredible. Not just like 
his his shot making but his space creation like some of those shots just like the amount of space he created for himself that were like he was guarded he was closely guarded he's guarded and then he creates like six foot of six feet of separation and then hits a shot that it was like he he made the shot easier for him than uh than it kind of appeared just because of the the space he created so uh for the Gators to be at their best I mean I know we've kind of said even as Tyree Appleby has struggled that we we think he's a guy that the Gators kind of need to have on the floor uh this was a game that kind of um, I don't want to say proved why, because he obviously had some rough games that um, I think he was kind of rightfully given less minutes than he or, or, you know, he was given lesser role and that was the right choice given how he was playing. But if the Gators are going to be at their best, I think they need Tyree Appleby to be um, playing at a high level. And we just saw kind of what the Gators will look like when he's doing that. Yeah, I thought that was uh, obviously huge for Florida that, you know, it seemed like another thing he did was just make the big basket too. When Florida really needed somebody to make a play, there were a couple of times where Tyree made one, obviously the four point play with the Gators trailing by seven that cut it to three. I think kind of that's what started the 23, eight run that Florida went on to uh, in the game. And I don't think that was a coincidence. It really lifted and energized the whole building. Uh, another light crowd, um, but one that was loud late, uh, you know, given, what the capacity was shout out to the rowdy reptiles. Uh, I thought they were great. Not quite as great as I was going to isolate uh, Kawasi Reeves and Jason Jatobo, who I thought um, both really deserve credit, albeit for different reasons. Uh, you know, Jason managed to pick up uh, four fouls in eight minutes. So the first eight minutes that he played uh, not so good. And I do think some of it was uh, he was a little jacked up, probably first career start. Um, you know, it's hard to kind of contain that emotion and energy sometimes when you've waited as long as Jason has to have this, this sort of an opportunity. And he's going up against one of the best front courts um, in, in the SEC with Tulu Smith and Garrison Brooks. And I'm sure that took an adjustment period. But, you know, I was really super impressed with the way that uh, in his final eight minutes of basketball, not only did he uh, avoid fouling out, but just very, very impactful. Uh, a couple big blocks. Um, he scored eight points, gave Florida sort of an option underneath, um, that kept Miss State from extending too much on Florida shooters. Uh, and you know, I thought drew some fouls and then hit a couple big free throws as well. So, um, really good game for Jason. Maybe we start there. Yeah, I think the only thing, well, other than the foul trouble limiting him still was conditioning. I, I think you saw that Mike White was giving him like, you know, 60 second shifts like it was a hockey game because, uh, you know, the big man was 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 gassing out pretty quick. But uh, of course, the fouls were definitely a, a, a problem. And I will say they were a problem because it, it wasn't like he was getting attacked. It wasn't like he was taking away layups. It was like body control fouls where he just like. It, it was like the guy, well, I guess pre-COVID, um, you know, spacing wise, but it was like the guy at like Starbucks with a massive backpack that keeps bumping into you and doesn't realize it. Um, that was like the fouls he was committing <laughs> offensive rebounding where like, and, and, and he just looked bewildered after every foul, but you look at it and, you know, he just like jumped. And I think he thought he was straight up, but he was, you know, way leaning forward and he pushed a guy with his chest. And when you're as big as he is, that's really dislodging guys. And, and it was foul. So the, the fouls he picked up were concerning to me just because they were like awareness, body control fouls. And 
Um, those are just more concerning than if it was like, you know, he took away four layups or four post-ups because he was, you know, coming down hard or going harder to basketball. So I, I do think that was a little bit, you know, concerning, but you know, on the positive side, he's obviously just such a massive target around the rim. Um, for guys to pass the ball to. So he's just so uh, available for those drop-off passes. I love that he's got really good hands for someone of that size um, to finish. And he's just so like wide bodied that there was a couple of times where I thought he brought the ball down um, to a place where guards could have kind of smacked it out and kind of was a little bit slow getting to put those balls back up where guys could have rotated to block it, but he was just like so wide guys couldn't make it around his shoulder to get to the ball or, or anything like that. So, um, and then also, I mean, my favorite bucket of his was, was in transition late. Um, that was kind of rewarded him for something he'd done a couple of times that game where again, just like rim running in transition, just putting his nose on the rim from 90 feet away and um, running in a straight line. He drew so many defenders. Cause again, he's such a massive target. That's easy to hit. And if he gets the ball in the paint, he can finish that. Uh, he was really drawing a lot of defenders. And then he had the big bucket where, uh, you know, we beat a couple guys down in transition. Um, you know, didn't fade out to the three-point line, didn't wait to see if he could set a drag screen. He went right to the rim and, and got rewarded for it. So uh, definitely uh, definitely a positive game when uh, when the Gators needed a couple guys to step up in the center rotation. Yeah, it was interesting that such a good front court, I mean, even with his size, they still just had trouble bodying him. I mean, he actually missed a couple shots. I thought Florida ran a really nice action where they got him a great look late in the game. I think Florida was up by five at the time and it rimmed in and out, you know, he just showed, like you said, he has terrific hands and kind of a soft touch and um, missed that shot over Garrison Brooks, but Garrison Brooks had essentially no chance of, <laughs> of preventing him from getting a shot off. And that's a, you know, a, a guy that's been playing high level college basketball for several years. Um, a guy that hasn't been playing high level college basketball for several years is Kawasi Reeves, but he continues to look better. I think in, in every game, um, and I thought in the second half started looking for his shot a little bit, um, and then hit just in a massive three pointer late to extend Florida's lead from four to seven. That was an NBA three, um, second straight game where Eric, his shots, not only does he have such a quick release, but it just looks like it's going in all the time. Um, and then I, I was super impressed with his defense. The few chances that he got on Iverson Molinar, I thought, he looked solid. Uh, and then, um, you know, Rocket Watts was doing something that I like kind of had sneaking nightmares he might do, which is have a good game against Florida because why not? And, um, you know, as soon as they put Kowasi on Rocket Watts, Watts disappeared to the bench within a couple minutes. Um, so, you know, just continues to get better as a defender. I'd still like to see him get lower in his stance sometimes. Uh, I, I thought late in the game he was right to trust his length and kind of back off Molinar. Um, you know, I think it just proves how his learning curve. Uh, he's a player that studies the game, pays attention to the little things, and then obviously is just immensely talented. So he led the Gators in in plus minus uh, at plus sixteen, and again, those are again. one of those stats. Yeah, well, I mean, it's one of those stats too. If you look at like single game plus minus, those can be a little bit misleading stats. But here's um, three of four games where he's led the Gators in plus minus. Um, the one game he didn't was against South Carolina. So you know, like the least quality of the four opponents. And then you looked, so he uh, led the Gators against Mississippi state in a huge game, led the Gators against LSU. Who's really good. And um, led the Gators against Auburn, who is, um, you know, 
maybe a national title contender. So uh, for him to, to lead the Gators in three of four games and against three really quality opponents, I think you can kind of look past the like small sample size, maybe anomaly and just say like, yeah, it's pretty clear that he is uh, making a huge difference. Uh, I, I also think defensively you look at the, the first half, especially where things were not going great for the Gators, particularly defensively. There was kind of like, almost Auburn flashbacks to me where guys like Iverson Molinar and Rocket Watts were just getting to the rim against anyone. Um, and Quasi Reeves wasn't on the floor at that time, but yeah, just like constant dribble penetration from those guys. And um, especially with those kinds of drivers that are not looking to like create space to get a jump shot. They're looking to turn the corner and get downhill to the rim. Well, like the difference between a six foot three guard and like a Quasi Reeves at six, seven, um, it's, it's a lot more distance to cover to turn that corner. So I thought he um, was good for that matchup. And again, when you see someone like, like Molinar, who I think is an NBA player, um, sometimes you just need NBA athletes to match up with NBA athletes. So I thought that that was big for, for Reeves, but uh, again, like you mentioned how you thought that every shot looks like it's going in for, for Reeves, like going through all his clips this morning, which I did offensively. Cause there's not like a ton of them yet. So it's easy to go through them all. Like one thing that's crazy is like uh, on his makes, even he's hit the rim once like all his makes are just like pure swishes and you know, his misses are just spilling out. Like he had, he had a couple early in the season um, where he really rushed rushed his mechanics and like bank missed a couple. So those are pretty ugly, but looking at these last couple of games, it's like, he's, he's barely like, he's only touched the rim once on his makes he's drilling shots from deep. And uh, again, it's like you, you look at how quick his release is, and, and part of that is his true release, but a huge part of that is his shot prep and his footwork to get himself in a situation where he can catch and turn. And it's just like such advanced shot making that really no one else on the Gators um, can do. And, and I look at the, the makes that he has and a bunch of those shots, there's like, they're, they're not the types of shots that I would think anyone else on the Gators would make like, you know, there, there's a couple where, you know, he got open and they were a little deep and it's like, Oh yeah, you know, we've seen Jones, you know, hit similar shots, but a lot of them have been like, you look at his footwork, you look at his, how quick the release came. And it was like, no one else on the Gators is, is delivering that shot. And now you're seeing him hit a high percentage. And, um, there's just times where it's like, you know, you, I, I think we're all kind of clamoring for him to get the opportunity to hunt shots a little bit more because, um, right now a you know a contested shot from him is 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 going to be one of florida's better options especially uh especially down castleton which i'm you know i'm sure i'll talk about but uh hey this is i would say the the fourth straight impressive game for for kwasi reeves of course one of them was like you know a little bit less minutes against auburn but three straight starts three straight great returns um for kwasi reeves yeah the growth of him defensively is parallel to what we've seen with javari smith at auburn i'm not comparing the two or suggesting that koisi reeves is going to be a lottery pick this year he's not um although i think there's a decent chance that he becomes one um at florida maybe even as soon as after next season uh but you know he i guess i'm just thinking about how not only is his shot pretty much unblockable which is the biggest problem people have in defending javari smith is that he gets so high and his release is so quick that uh, you can't really block uh, his shot. Kowasi's not going to get blocked on his jump shot either for similar reasons, although he doesn't have 6'10 height like Jabari Smith. But also, if he's going to improve that much defensively, then it really gives Florida something that they didn't necessarily have, which is a disruptive perimeter defender. I thought Brandon McKissick, again, was Florida's other best perimeter defender last night. I thought when Tyree Appleby struggled last night, it was all on defense. I didn't think he had too many problems on offense. There were a couple of times he chased um, 
uh, what's his name? Molinar um, out onto the perimeter. And I kind of wondered what he was doing uh, because that's what Iverson Molinar wants you to do is chase him out to the perimeter so he can turn the corner on you. Uh, Flan Fleming did the same thing. And I think Flan is usually a pretty solid defender. Shout out to Flan for hitting six of his seven free throws too, by the way, man, that's, you know, I thought that and like the fact that Daruji obviously took the Hofstra approach and just bricked one that went in um, on his first attempt. We're probably huge for it. We'll get back to that. But yeah, I mean, Reeves definitely seems to lift this team's uh, ceiling. And that seems like a good time just to sprinkle in a quick listener question, um, which was from uh, Rich Coker, because I know we want to talk about the front court. So let's get this one out of the way. Uh, Rich asked, hey, I wanted to get you guys thoughts on the shooting against Miss State. It seems like 50-40 is more the percentage we hope to see at the beginning of the season. The 40% is a bit high, I guess, but it seems like Florida really underperformed most games this year compared to career averages. Um, also, it seemed like with Castleton out, these guys got the green light to let it fly. Um, so maybe that team's mindset changed a little uh, when he was going out. Any thoughts on that? I do have thoughts, but uh, you better you better go first. I, I'm interested in what you have to say. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, look, I I am not gonna back down from my original contention just because I feel like data backs up the theory that this team shoots a little bit better than it has all season. Um, you know, Brandon McKissick is the one guy I admit maybe I got too bullish about because um, I didn't look at necessarily volume. Uh, Myron Jones didn't even shoot last night. So it's hard to discuss him in the context of like a guy that shoots 40% from deep in his career and just seems to have no confidence. We can talk more about that if you want, but yeah, I mean, Flan Fleming, pretty good shooter. Um, Tyree Appleby makes a lot of these off the bounce shots more. Hadn't really done that this season. Kawasi's letting it fly a little bit more, which I think if you went back and listened to our, August, September, October podcast, we were talking about Kowasi being a guy who would shoot. Um, and he's starting to do that now. So the percentages are going up because he's a good shooter. Um, so, I mean, I think those are sort of my thoughts. I also think uh, Mark Wise had the call last night and I think he's really good. Um, and, you know, um, he's really good, except his comments on free throws were very wrong. Uh, um, cause he said it was all like effort and repetition. And I'm like, no, it's not. Um, it's really just about form, but, uh, but aside from Mark being glaringly wrong about that, and I know Mark listens sometimes, so, uh, I'm just giving you a hard time, Mark. Um, you know, I think one thing Mark is right about is like, you definitely do change your mindset when a great player's out and, you know, I think Florida had to hunt some of those shots. I actually think Florida passed up some good looks, but the other thing that they did do really well was move the ball, especially in the second half. Florida had 14 assists last night to only 12 turnovers. They haven't out assisted their turnovers very often this season. Um, and I think some of those extra passes led to, to really open looks. It's good to see Anthony DeRuji knock some of them down, for example. So those are sort of my bird's eye view thoughts on it. Eric, so my thought on both the free throw shooting and three point shooting is like, it, it's really like, I don't want to say nothing has changed, but really it's all about who's taking those attempts. Like if you think about the free throw problem, 
who are the guys that have really struggled with free throw shooting this year? You know, Colin Castleton, Myron Jones at times, um, Anthony Deruji, um, Brandon McKissick. It's like, okay, well, you know, McKissick shot one free throw and he missed it. Um, Colin Castleton wasn't in the game, so he didn't shoot free throws. Um, and then, you know, you look at, uh, uh, like Myron Jones also doesn't shoot any free throws. Um, so Anthony Deruji, he hits eight of nine. He's had problems. That's awesome. But when you look at it, it's like the guys who were having trouble hitting free throws, they weren't shooting free throws. So of course it's going to look better when, when, you know, Flanders Fleming and Tyree Appleby are, when those are the guys shooting free throws, it's like, no wonder the percentage is better. Now let's also think who has struggled to shoot the three this year. Uh, Brandon McKissick, uh, Myron Jones, um, Tyree Appleby. So Tyree Appleby shoots the three. Well, that's, that's good. But Brandon McKissick only shoots one and misses it. Myron Jones doesn't even take a three. So I know some people are like, oh, look, like, you know, the shooting has really improved. And like, yes, they they had a good game, but it's like it wasn't the guys who are struggling shooting better. At least it, it was, you know, it was one guy in this case. It was um, Tyree Appleby shooting the three better than he has been. And it was Anthony Ruggi hitting free throws better than he has been. But like the other problems are still there, for lack of a better term. Um Brandon McKissick has struggled shooting both of those things still, you know, he just didn't take them last night. So, so again, I, I, that's one thing about free throw shooting, especially, but three point shooting as well. Sometimes that I, I think is sometimes missed like, you know, cause again, there's a little bit of a victory lap from some people. It's like, Hey, great. Like the Gators are finally shooting free throws better. And it's like, well, when you're good free throw shooters get to take free throws, it's like, yeah, you're, you're going to shoot them better. And it might come back to what it was. If you're bad free throw shooters end up shooting them. Um, so it, this game is great. It's a reminder that you want certain players in the game for certain um, roles, but it doesn't really change my opinion on Florida's free throw shooting um, until the guys or, or three point shooting until the guys who uh, have struggled, you know, change their production. So great to see from Anthony Deruji. Great to see from Tyree Appleby on, on Deruji's free throw shooting on, on Appleby's three point shooting. Um, but uh, yeah, my opinion hasn't totally changed. I mean, I'll also point out thinking about our older podcasts, where Florida uh, from this season where Florida was shooting like 31% from three and people are like, Oh wow, this team's really struggling to shoot the three. And, you know, I was kind of like, well, the Gators were shooting 40% except for, you know, Myron Jones had like an 0 for seven game or, or Brandon McKissick had a one for seven game that brought the entire average down, but there's a bunch of guys that were shooting well. So at the time I'm like, Oh, see the Gators are, I think they're better than they thought. There's just one guy that was bringing them down. Of course we kind of saw that, that didn't turn out to be totally the case. And a couple of those guys have, haven't really gotten out of their funk, but uh, again, it's kind of a matter right now for me. It's like, well, if you want the gate, you know, if the Gators want to be better at three point shooting, get your better three point players shots. And if you want to be better free throws shooters, but you're, you know, guys who are better free throw shooters in, um, in positions to get fouled. So um, definitely encouraging that they had a good three point shooting game, definitely had a good free throw shooting game. But like, if you look at who took those shots, you shouldn't really be surprised that it was better. That's kind of my take. Yeah, I, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I will say Myron not shooting last night was a little surprising just because he had been um, five of his last 14, which is not great, but a little closer to his career average, albeit on a really small sample size, uh, but certainly better than like the four for 30 slump that he had been in before that. And so it's kind of like, well, maybe he started to shoot his way out of it, but Myron honestly did look just disinterested in, in shooting the ball last night or doing much really uh, period other than dribbling around and passing. Um, and his minutes are starting to reflect that. I think with, you know, his, 
his uh, minutes played down under 20 minutes for the last two games in a row. Uh, now both Florida victories. Um, and, you know, we've talked about how he's not really a plus defender. So again, I don't think he is a bad defender. Um, although he got blown by a couple times by NBA Iverson Molinar last night. Uh, a lot of defenders are going to do that. I just think he's very average and there's no point in like an average defender. Who's a 40% three point shooter. That's not shooting being on the floor that much. Florida has plus defenders. Um, Flan Fleming, Brandon McKissick. I think Kawesi Reeves has now become that. So when you have three like plus defenders that you can play as options other than Myron Jones, then really there's not a ton of reasons for Myron Jones to play more than 15, 16 minutes, especially if he's not going to shoot, um, Eric. Yeah, I kind of wonder where his role goes. Does he kind of – battle with McKissick for some of those backup point guard minutes in a ball handling role. I mean, I, I think that it's, it's pretty clear that that McKissick has a lot of trust from, from white. So it's like, okay, is, is Jones going to be like a designated hitter who comes in and, and puts up some threes and you see if he's hot or cold. Um, I wouldn't mind that to be honest, like kind of what you were saying as well, just to see him come in for whatever it was, 14 to 15 minutes and, and not shoot any threes. You know, you kind of would have enjoyed seeing him let one fly, but also it's kind of nice that he didn't force up a bad shot, but, uh, yeah, it's just kind of one of those one of those things where uh, I, I also wonder, looking at the fact that he started for two seasons straight at Penn State and then he started for half of the season for Florida. So, I mean, he spent two and a half years starting every single game and then comes off the bench. And I did think he looked like he made some kind of mental errors, just uh, uh, some decisions with the ball, some defensively. It just didn't quite look like him himself at all. And um, who knows, maybe he's got... Uh, uh, some injury or something like that, but uh, you just look at a game like last night and there wasn't really a time where I'm like, Oh man, I could really use Myron Jones in the game. Um, especially now that Kwesi Reeves is, is, is kind of uh, bringing shooting. I think that we all find to be a little bit more, um, you know, it's like, even when Myron Jones is hitting those sh hitting shots, it's like, you see the form and you know how streaky he's been throughout his career. And there's some of you that, that you just kind of know it's, maybe not going to continue and he's kind of due to miss some shots. And then you see Kwesi Reeves and how he's shooting the ball. And there's like no part of me that thinks he's going to go ice cold next game. Of course he's like, I'm sure like eventually he'll, you know, go cold, but seeing his mechanics, it's, it's just not something you would, you would totally expect. Right. So uh, that's definitely uh, one that's like, uh, I, you know, I, I, I feel for him, but it's like, Hey, if you're, you've, you've got to find one side of the floor where you can, you can bring value. And uh, I think last night he, uh, wasn't quite a plus on, on either side. So uh, uh, you see him kind of out of the mix for some big minutes. Yeah, no question. Um, one guy who got a lot of minutes was Tuan Gatkick, who played uh, 16. Some of it due to the fact that Jason Jatobo either had to play like hockey shifts or was in horrific foul trouble um, for a while. But I thought pretty productive of Tuan. I don't want him to do much offensively, um, especially we saw that mid-range jumper he took and like all I could really do is laugh at my TV uh, when, when he took that bad boy. But, but otherwise, uh, you know, lots of the little things by two on gag kick, especially on the offensive end. Yeah, I would say it was definitely a better uh, performance than, you know, I expected. I mean, let's be, be honest. I won't use revisionist history. I've, I was skeptical of the take. I've been skeptical of him, you know, seeing the floor a couple of times in games this year. So I was definitely a little concerned when I kind of knew he was going to be pressed into service. And uh, especially when he got pressed into service as quickly as he did uh, with the foul trouble slash conditioning for Jatobo. Uh, but I've got to say, like the first possession in the game uh, defensively, 
he or the first position he was in the game, there was this flex screen that that Mississippi State ran, and he like navigated it masterfully and defended it super well. And and Mississippi State threw the ball out of bounds because he defended it so well and denied the entry pass. And I was kind of like really surprised for a second, had to rewind because I was like, wow, that was incredible defense by by Gat Kick. And you know, he had a, he had another moment and. Like, I, I do think he had some struggles uh, in pick and roll defense, but there was also one time where uh, he kind of got the corner turned on him because he took a really bad angle to uh, to go hedge. And uh, just because he was so ridiculously long, he poked the ball away. Uh, that was the play that then went to McKissick, who kind of had a little bit of a fast break and unfortunately turned the ball over, if you remember that play. So, you know, there's one play where I was like, wow, he just used really good footwork and timing to make a really good defensive play and then there was one where it was like okay he kind of blew this coverage but because he was so long he was able to uh uh, kind of recover and I think that that's just going to be something something you get from him so um I I also did think watching the game a second time like man like obviously his weight is going to be a problem like he got dislodged you know halfway across the court a couple of times on on box outs where uh mississippi (laughs) state's front court players just like shoved him from one side of the one side of the block to the other and the rebounds never like fell to mississippi state but it was one of those things where it's like i don't think you can really look at the rebounds uh, you know the offensive rebound number in those situations because like yeah like the gators didn't give up offensive rebounds because the ball just happened to bounce to some of the guards that were crashing in but it was like oh man he was just getting absolutely manhandled um you know, at the line of scrimmage there, um, just pushed out of the way on the trenches. So I, I do think there's some definitely things that still concern me a little bit, but Hey, this is, you know, functionally a freshman, um, who had to step up against a, a really good front court. Um, I know you said, uh, uh, you mentioned a couple of things down the offensive side. So why don't you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, I just thought that, you know, we saw uh, repeatedly guys that have been at Florida that have really struggled to set screens, whether it's Osio, Asifo, um, or uh, who, who Osiah, I think on a summer podcast, I had the number, um, but it was 0.9 uh, illegal screens a game for him or uh, 3.1 illegal screens per 40 minutes of game time. Um, so Osiah, man, my man had some issues just setting screens. So did uh, Jason Totobo early in his career. We all remember how often uh, the big fella would get called um for moving i also think with a guy as big as jason you know it's tempting to start moving if you're the ball handler faster just because he's there and so sometimes it's not necessarily his fault right like he's out there and he's so big that the the ball handler doesn't wait for the screen to be set and by rule that's a offensive foul um suan gatkick doesn't have to worry about that and because he's so paper thin uh, he really has to make himself bigger to set a screen, I think. And I just thought he did a really nice job of it. And Florida was able to get uh, some good offense, whether it was penetration and kick. Um, you know, they weren't really getting a ton of uh, let's go to the rim and score uh, action off of it. But they certainly were able to get around those screens, draw a help, and then kicked open shooters, um, which I thought was quite productive. Like if, if- – 
there's one thing about Gatkick for sure. It's that he's definitely kind of willing to to play the role. Like when he was out, it was kind of like, okay, the Gators are going to four out one in. The one in is Gatkick. And he was just like sprinting guard to guard setting screens. So he definitely seems to have fully embraced the role. Um, he's not out there. I mean, I will say the Gators ran two different plays to try to post him up. Um, both times Mississippi State, again, because Gatkick is so thin, just like pushed him out of the way, got a three-quarter front and the Gators couldn't get the ball into him. And I was like, glad i was kind of thinking like hey if i mississippi state i'm i'm not trying to deny that pass i'm i'm letting the ball go into gat kick but uh, i don't think they were prepared uh, for gat kick on the scouting report so they really defended those post-ups hard so um i would maybe advise against the gators trying to post up gat kick um i think he's just got to kind of got to get in there and and you know keep screening and and diving to the rim and maybe he catches the lob but uh yeah i've got to say i'm as someone who is very skeptical of his ability to, to kind of contribute right now. It's definitely a positive game. And um, I have no, you know, insight to the Castleton injury. Um, but uh, anytime, you know, for Mike White to say it was kind of significant um, shoulder injuries, aren't one you can really like rehab from quickly. Like I, I'm guessing this is going to be the case for a while that they don't have him. So we're going to see more gat kick and we're going to see more Jatobo. So for to get, you know, to have, you know, solid early returns. Uh, that's pretty encouraging, but um, kind of on the assumption that uh, Ga- like Castleton's going to be out for a little while, how would you like to see the, uh, the center minutes broken down between uh, um, I'll say Jatobo, you know, Felder and Gatkick. And I suppose you can throw, and, well, yeah, you're, you're welcome to also throw Daruji in that mix if you like. Yeah. I mean, look, I don't think Jason Jatobo is going to be good for more than 20 minutes a game based on his conditioning, Eric. I don't think, uh, you know, I think we saw that last night. I mean, Mike White substituted him at 1842. Um, <laughs> so he played a minute and 18 minutes and Mike White substituted him at the first dead ball. Um, so, you know, I don't think that doesn't bode well for much more than 20 out of him, which means you're really going to need time from two on gat kick, no matter what. And hopefully it's, it's, you know, the good news is Miss State really does like, I mean, I, I was being, authentic when I tweeted that I think it's the second best front court in the SEC behind um, Kentucky, you know? So I think certainly Florida isn't going to get that kind of front court test for a little while. Um, You know, Tennessee's front court is certainly capable, uh, but you know, they're the bottom line is if Tuan can play well against Mistate, then he can replicate it. Then he can replicate it. I think. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we want more than really 10, like 16 minutes is a lot. Um, and, you know, CJ Felder banged and battled last night. And he's the one guy that like really does compete on the glass with bigger players, I think. And it's unfortunate that his plus minus was what it was yet again. Uh, Cause I think sometimes with him, it's just a matter of what rotations he gets stuck in. I'm still uh, pretty adamant in my belief that, that he's the guy that, should be getting as many of these minutes as, as they can. I'm just still kind of thinking about this uh, ranking of sec front courts. Um, Cause I've got to put Auburn up there with Jabari Smith, yeah, Walker. That's Kessler. Fair. And then yeah. I, I, I might put like, again, it's, it's a little bit of a different look, but Darius days and then Tari Eason, just because Eason is like all American candidate. Of course, days, I don't think you're putting him 
in the same kind of category, but you know, how much does Easton elevate? But uh, you know, your point stands very good front court, not the game yeah. you want to see the Gators yeah. going, uh, going into a bullpen game with uh, when it comes to their center rotation, but uh, they really didn't manage. But the, the CJ Felder thing is, is still interesting to me because CJ Felder was out there with Toon Gatkick at times, and he was out there with Anthony Deruji at times in the front court. And when it was Deruji, just kind of like we mentioned the other day, when it was Deruji out there, it was definitely CJ Felder was the four. Like they were playing four out one in, and the in was Deruji. So like for you know, I know some people are going to say just look at the the sizes of players on the floor and be like, oh, CJ Felder's the five, but he really wasn't the five by any means. He was he was playing the four, and with Tune Gatkick as well. Gatkick was out there as the one guy on the inside setting screens, and um, CJ Felder was there in the corner, um, which I think because you like his three point shooting. Uh, it's not like you don't want him in that area, but at the same time, I still would be like interested at some, some lineups with, with CJ Felder at, at the five. And um, because of that, I mean, it might be like Kowasi Reeves at the four, because like, you know, who is as much as we want to talk, you know, center rotation, it's like, who are your guys at the, at the power forward spot? It's like, well, it's Anthony Deruji and it's CJ Felder. Um, so that's that's the kind of the next like small ball lineup I guess I'd be interested by is is do you get Kwesi Reeves in there at, at at five and run a bunch of guards and then you know CJ Felder or whoever uh, Jason Jatoba at the five so I'd still be interested by a little bit more CJ Felder I feel like that's uh, what a lot of us kind of are, are are feeling and 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 maybe a little less gat kick I, I, again I'm not trying to pour cold water on what was a good performance from gat kick but I do think there was some rebounding issues that didn't you know kind of luckily weren't seen because mississippi state didn't run out you know end up with the ball but when you look at the film it's like from a you know rebounding standpoint it was like you know it was a it was a d or maybe an f like and again it's not for a lack of effort it's just because he's that thin um with there's guys that are you know 60 pounds heavier and lower centers of gravity that's just that's that's tough for gat kick for sure um honestly also to the point too like offensively where like i know they might like gat kicks length and, and maybe ability to poke away some balls I I'd have to like even consider having the Gators not crash the offensive glass at all with him out there and just saying like, Hey, let's, let's get back and, and take away any transition buckets. Because again, it's like, as soon as someone gets a body on gat kick, it's, it's, you know, all, all the length is, is kind of negated. So um, yeah, I think uh, Jatobo, I think we like that as a starter. I, I think I'd like to see Felder getting, getting the, the more next minutes, but Hey, well, I guess we'll, we'll see what gat kick keeps bringing because he, surprised uh surprised us once and and maybe he continues to impress yeah i mean like you said i think he's gonna have to play i can't imagine that we'll see colin for at least another week um and then hopefully it gets quicker and remember florida has um a game saturday a game monday and then a game in knoxville next wednesday so the gators are home and then away away in kind of a tricky three-game stretch. In uh, the first of those three games, Eric is Vanderbilt on Saturday. Um, you know, I kind of put a lot of thought into what I wanted to say about Vanderbilt, and I'm going to go ahead and just throw this out there. I think the SEC is probably the second-best league in the country. Um, I know it has the most ranked teams, um, but I still think that the Big 12 is a little bit better. Um, I guess we'll find out maybe. Um, but, uh, Vanderbilt is one of those teams in the sec that I, they're two and three in the league, like Florida. Um, and I feel like they're a little better than their record, Eric. 
Um, you know, I kind of think like they could very well be five and zero in the SEC if you look at every one of the games that they've played. Uh, they're they were really really close. Well, you know what, five and zero is a stretch. They could be four and one in the SEC. I guess they weren't. I I forgot that they weren't terribly competitive against Kentucky, but in every other game, um, they were in the game. They were in the game against Tennessee. They crushed Arkansas. Um, so, you know, I think they could be better. Um, they also really uh, challenged themselves uh, in their non-conference. They played um, they, their game against Stanford was canceled, but they played a pretty good BYU team. Uh, they played Loyola Chicago. They played SMU, who isn't bad. Uh, they played Winthrop, who I think is pretty good. Um, so, you know, they weren't unchallenged in that aspect. The one thing that they do have trouble doing uh, is scoring, but they also have the SEC's best scorer in Scotty Pippen. Yeah, that BYU win is is really good, and like I think that they're like twenty first in in Ken Palm, and and they've had a couple injuries recently. Like I, I think the BYU is easily a top twenty team, and could very well be like more like a you know even even higher than that. So if you want a you know quick quick March Madness preview, um, I think that BYU if they get back to full health is going to be underrated because they played a little bit worse since they, they had some front court injuries, but anyways, I think BYU is awesome and, and Vanderbilt beat them. So um, I, that's kind of one indication of, of kind of how Vanderbilt's a little bit better than, than the last couple of years. And um, yeah, like you said, I was pretty impressed with their ability to hang with, with Tennessee and, and pretty impressed with their ability to, uh, uh, to beat Arkansas. Um, it, it's also interesting too. Like the story for the last couple of years was like, Hey, Vanderbilt's going to put up some points, but they're not going to be able to stop him on the other end. And now you've got it flipped a little bit. So uh, I, I've got to say too, I think that their offense is probably not a little bit better than um, kind of what they've done so far. Um, especially since like Trey Thomas, who was a, a 40% three point shooter last year, he started the season like ice cold. I think he was like one for his first 20 attempts, but he's shooting 42% in conference play. I also think that's kind of part of the reason that they've been a little bit better in conference play is Trey Thomas, that little guard, like five ten from Canada. Um, he's started to shoot the ball better. Um, I, I think that like, he's someone you could probably like expect a little more from based on his kind of, uh, previous experience. So uh, uh, watching them play, I, I think they run some, some good stuff. I just think that, yeah, outside of Scotty Pippen, not really um, anyone who's a, a great creator. Um, Quinton Ballora Brown, they're, they're six foot 10 center. He's a solid defender, but he's just like pretty much provides you nothing on the offensive end. So they don't really have someone they can throw it into, but uh, man, I've got to say, Neil, I do have um, unpleasant memories of two games last season against Vanderbilt where uh, Scotty Pippen almost willed them to victory. And it was largely because they picked apart Florida's pick and roll defense. So I, I think that's kind of would be, would be my concern is like, you know, that Vanderbilt team couldn't defend. So the Gators were able to keep putting on points, even though they were kind of hemorrhaging them because Scotty Pippen was picking them apart in pick and roll. But this year Vanderbilt defends a little bit better. Um, and you know, their offense hasn't been great, but they showed last year when, when they weren't really great that they could score on the Gators. So, uh, it's something, uh, Something I was thinking about as I was, you know, writing out my Vanderbilt preview. Yeah, another thing that you mentioned, Trey Thomas, Rodney Chapman is the other key piece that they've gotten back from injury. He's only played five games. He was a um, seventh man for uh, the Dayton team that probably would have been the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament or the number two, depending on how the committee treated Florida State uh, in the COVID year. Um, just amazing to think of 
of that FSU team not getting to play in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Gator fans, be relieved. Be relieved that there was no NCAA tournament so your rival didn't get to brag about their national basketball title too. No. Um, but Dayton, uh, Rodney Chapman was a great player for them and is a guy that shoots uh, pretty good from the outside. He's 36.5 in his five games this year, which is in and around his career percentage. He's also great at doing what Scottie Pippen does, which means that like last year Vanderbilt was pretty 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 predictable because they would set up all screen and then Scotty Pippen would use it to penetrate and kick um, or shoot. Um, this year they set the same high ball screens, but they'll do it for two guys. Um, so sometimes that means that Scotty Pippen plants in the corner and is an open and willing shooter. Sometimes it means that Chapman is an open and willing shooter, but both of them I think are excellent in that four out uh, open up the driving lane with the ball screen and drive and kick. Both of them were very good passers. Uh, so Rodney Chapman being available the last couple of games, I think has certainly improved um, their uh, team offensively. You know, Pippen, a top 20 guy nationally in assist rate, uh, tends to always make the right pass, but it's even more devastating with his usage rate a little bit lower, in my opinion, because – you know, he doesn't necessarily have to always go hunting for their offense with Chapman back and with a sniper like Trey Thomas. The other guy that's been uh, the recipient of many of those Pippen looks this season has been former Florida recruit Miles Stute, who's shooting kind of an obscene 42% from deep right now. Uh, I didn't really think that at any point in time, and I watched a lot of Miles Stute film, um, and he, when he was recruited for this podcast, and I never necessarily saw anything that made me think, hey, there's a guy that's going to be 42%. But here's an example of someone where a mechanical change has helped. Um, you know, remember that Mike White and the staff, I think it was Darius Nichols that famously made a little bit of a change to uh, Chris Chios's jump shot when they got to Florida. And I think it helped. Um, and Florida was unable to help Casey Hill. Uh, with those changes, but Jerry Stackhouse uh, worked with Miles Sute and changed his mechanics up, and uh, it's just paying off huge dividends. He's having a really nice year, and he's kind of yet another option. And it's I think it makes their offense better. To Eric's point now, because Sute was their second option for a lot of non-conference play, now he's kind of option three or four. I think he's also been one of the guys that that's kind of changed them defensively. Obviously he was on the roster last year, so it's not like he's like a transfer coming in, but um, the difference between freshman and, and sophomore is obviously usually pretty big for uh, the defensive side of the ball. And and he's just, again, he's kind of one of those, you know, six foot seven um, brings a little versatility. And then they have another guy who's also a returner um, that I think has been pretty good defensively. And that's Jordan Wright. Who's again, like six, six foot six, 215 pounds. And like, both of them kind of remind me, like, not because of Studi's, you know, three-point percentage maybe takes him out of the equation, but they both kind of look to me like kind of your stereotypical South Carolina players, like just really like stout physical wings that aren't like, you know, quick or athletic, but somehow are just like fantastic, you know, perimeter defenders. So I think those guys make them... uh make them a little better. And you start to see some of these kind of interesting lineups where you've got, you know, six foot 10 Quinton Melora Brown, who's yeah, again, just like solid defender doesn't bring a lot offensively, but then you've got two six foot six, six, seven guys in, in studio and, and right. And then you've got two smaller guards and in, in Trey Thomas, the, um, you know, catch and shoot sniper. And then Scotty Pippen, who kind of makes everything happen offensively. So, uh, it's like that lineup is, is really good. That five, um, 
outside of that and of like, you know, Rod, Roddy Chapman, I think it really falls off for them, but uh, you know, that five in the game, they, they can do some pretty interesting stuff offensively. And, and um, those, you know, two wings and Melora Brown um, are solid defenders. So it kind of makes up for a, you know, small undersized, not super athletic backcourt. And I think that's why you're seeing that they've been able to, to hang in these games. It's just like it, like if they can keep it close, I, I think that that five can really hang with some, some really good teams. It's, it's, you know, it's like depth is a little bit of a problem for them. And um, they're also a team that is, is 26 in the country in, in three point attempts. So they, they shoot a ton of threes. Um, they're only hitting 31.3% of them. So they haven't been great from three. Uh, we talked about that earlier, just kind of some cold starts to the season, but uh, because they aren't great from three, but they shoot a lot of them, they're, they're going to be pretty high variance. And, and I think that that's pretty, pretty wise um, playing in the SEC when you know you're not as talented as Tennessee and Kentucky and Arkansas and Florida um, to play a game where like they, they, they play really slow offensively. They try to limit the number of possessions in, in the game and then they shoot a lot of threes and that adds a lot of variance. And that's how they've been able to like upset a BYU and, and get a big win against Arkansas. So uh, for, for them, I think playing Florida, that's going to be kind of the, the recipe uh, you see. I think they're going to, you know, play a little bit more methodically, but it's still going to end with, with a lot of threes. And then they're going to uh, obviously hope those fall and then uh, kind of trust their, their um, defense on the other end. And, Kind of speaking of their defense, uh, one thing that is kind of nice for the Gators is they play a, a drop pick and roll team in, in South Carolina. And now they see a team that kind of exaggerates the drop even more with with Vanderbilt. Like, of course, Jerry Stackhouse coming from the G League and, and NBA. He's someone who's uh, kind of a pure drop pick and roll kind of guy. And uh, they've had really good success with that, I think, especially with Melora Brown, just, you know, that kind of big body you need. And then they're able to have guys like Trey Thomas use his speed to just chase guys over screens. And then um, some of these guys that aren't as great athletes, they don't have to be tasked with uh, – um, rotating over and helping they're able to stay at home on shooters and um it's been a big part of their defensive success so um that's something that's uh again like almost might work for the gators they see a drop team against south carolina they get to play that style again which might be beneficial yeah one thing that's unfortunate of course is that they don't have florida doesn't have colin castleton i mean the key to beating vanderbilt up pretty badly and the way that kentucky just uh manhandled them which is why i feel bad about that five and oh comment um, but certainly they could be four and one in the SEC, but manhandled by the Kentucky front court. I really think Colin Castleton would have just, and this is going to be every Florida game, but more, maybe more so in this one than some of the others. Um, missing Colin Castleton kind of makes this game a toss up to me, Eric, um, as opposed to a game that Florida really, really should win. Um, you know, last year, Vanderbilt really struggled to defend uh, the two point shot. Uh, they didn't have much of a rim protector at all. They brought one in in Liam Robbins. He re-injured his foot in fall camp. Um, for those of you who don't know about Liam Robbins, I mean, I'm pretty sure Rick Pitino's son would have a job if Liam Robbins hadn't broken his foot, uh, but he did. And uh, Vanderbilt, or Vanderbilt, Minnesota kind of fell apart. Uh, he's an intimidating presence in the post, and watching him match up with Castleton would have been awesome. They expect to get him back in February. Uh, so Florida could see these guys again with Liam Robbins, which will be a different basketball team. But right now uh, it's Quentin Molora Brown or bust. Miles Stute has been to Eric's point, uh, their second best protector at the rim, just because he's got nice length. Um, but they are not a team that uh, you can't manhandle at the rim. Opponents are shooting 61.9%. 
at the rim against Vanderbilt per hoop math. Uh, to be fair, it was 65.8 last year. Um, so they've improved a little bit, uh, you know, but some of that might be that um, they have kind of had to keep Quentin Melora Brown on the floor, uh, even in the absence of Liam Robbins, Dylan DeSue, who transferred. Uh, so it's just kind of a significant flaw in their basketball team. I also think even if they didn't drop pick and roll coverage to begin with schematically or prefer that, they would be forced to based on those numbers because uh, they just need to hurl bodies at the rim, which means Florida's going to have to make open shots. Um, nothing new there, uh, Eric, but certainly maybe a great chance for Jason Jatobo to show off those good hands and that nice footwork and offensive skill set if he can stay on the floor and not get into foul trouble. Yeah, I'm also going to be interested to see if they uh, like they played a little bit more zone recently, and it's like a two three that like really extends with the uh, um, the wings really high up. So it's a little bit of a of a wrinkle that they've added and, and have been playing it more. I think especially when they've got the two smaller guards in the backcourt, that's uh, um, a lineup that works a little bit. But um, another thing that I think is kind of worth noting for a Florida team that's really struggled to rebound, losing Colin Castleton, I. Th- people are kind of like you know how, what's that going to do to florida's rebounding that's already not great luckily vanderbilt is not a team that offensively rebounds much so i don't think they really hurt florida on that end so like and then you add in the yeah quinton melora brown not someone who's um particularly offensively inclined so i think that on one hand it's like there was definitely a matchup that colin castleton could have feasted on so it's unfortunate he's out but like at least it's not a situation where um they you know uh, Vanderbilt's got an awesome offensive rebounding team or, or one player that could really hurt them on the inside. So uh, at least there's not a matchup that, that really, you know, scares you on that end. Um, so yeah, I, I think for, for me, it's like, um, how is Florida going to guard pick and rolls? There was a worse team last year that had their way with Florida's pick and roll defense. And um, yeah, now how Florida scores is like, I, I think I'm definitely encouraged by the fact that they had a good offensive game against Mississippi state, where it was a lot of guys able to, to get into the paint and, and, and make plays. And I think you, you look at the backcourt for Vanderbilt and, and I think that, uh, uh, or, or even just like as, as much as I like Studi and, and, and right, just like the athleticism of the Flanders Flemings and, and Daruji that um, played pretty well against Mississippi state. I, I think those guys still have favorable matchups. I hope Daruji is able to continue to attack in straight lines like he did, uh, against Mississippi State and just kind of showed how successful he'll be there. But uh, uh, those are going to be, you know, especially with a lot of times how they'll stay at home on shooters on some pick and rolls, like those backcuts could be there for for Daruji again. So um, I would also say, again, big game for, for Tyree Appleby. If they're going to drop pick and rolls, they, it's kind of putting pressure on the pick and roll handler, ball handler to, to make a play. And uh, luckily, uh, Tyree Appleby just had his you know best game of the season kind of doing that. So I think he'll have plenty of opportunities to, to replicate the performance um, if his shot is still on against Vanderbilt. Yeah, another two, two other real interesting notes, um, I think at least. Uh, one... Um, obviously some of the more interesting fashion uh, comparisons in the league, Jerry Stackhouse with the purple pimp suits sometimes, or the baby blue or whatever he wants to wear. He's going to look fabulous. Mike White has pretty much given up on suits entirely and just wears, uh, you know, khaki pants and some sort of pullover sweater. So got that competition there, Eric. And then uh two foul participation rate. This is just for fun. Like, Vanderbilt's 186th overall, uh, and Florida's 331. So not like terribly 
uh, different there, but Vanderbilt is 21st in conference only two foul participation rate. Jerry Stackhouse just doesn't care now that it's SEC play. He's going to leave his dudes out there. I did get a kick out of the fact that the second time this season, Mike White has actually done two foul participation and he's been burnt by it both times. McKissick got a third in the Maryland game in the first half and uh, Jatobo got that third last night. Um, but just two different ideologies, one from the NBA and one from Mike White. You know, I would, I would again argue, uh, did he really get burned because he still got, you know, Jason Jatobo didn't foul out. You still got max minutes out of him. You know what I mean? Like if it was a situation where yeah, he McKissick out, didn't you could... foul out against Maryland either. So, you know, I, I would even push back on getting burned by it personally. Um, I know we've had this conversation before, but, uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 I would even suggest they did not get burned. So, um, yeah, definitely a little bit of a, a, a kind of modern NBA thought from Stackhouse versus, yeah, kind of typical basketball convention from the last, you know, 20 years for, for Mike White. But, uh, Neil, what is your thoughts on – I know it's been raging on a couple of podcasts. You actually see this for, for anyone who's NBA fans. This uh, this kind of conversation has been um, – this, this war has been waged between the old school coaches who voted um, recently in the NBA to go back to having to wear suits and a bunch of the younger coaches who said like, no, you like wear a suit if you want, but we should be able to wear whatever you want. And I don't know if it's like, I don't think there's any like, you know, things the coaches have to vote for in college. They can just do whatever they want. But I'm curious what you think in both the NBA and college about coaches. Uh, like, are you, are you a suit guy? Do you think that they, you, would you prefer suits on the sidelines? Do you like, you know, wear whatever you want or, or where, where do you fall on the spectrum? So, uh, yeah, man, I'm, uh, I'm impressed with the, with the Jerry Stackhouses um, of the world. You know, I like, you know, I don't need the $10,000, uh, jacket that, that John Calipari is wearing, but I can't imagine the stack house is wearing anything cheap. Um, but I'm, I'm for it. I like the suits, man. Like, I don't think you should look ridiculous like Buzz Williams does, but like, you know, maybe that's just Buzz's style too. That's cool. Uh, but it was nice. It was nice to watch two guys that were suited up last night. You know, I've been going to some Davidson games and the whole Davidson staff has suits on, um, you know, and I've certainly appreciated that. It was fun when they played Radford. It was like Darius Nichols and all his dudes are basically in jumpsuits, uh, track suits. And like uh, <laughs> Bob McKillop and them, they're all in like Brooks Brothers, like Sunday best. So that was pretty fun. I don't know. I don't know where I come down on it. You know, I Billy Donovan has been like, sometimes he's in a suit and sometimes he's in like the Bulls jacket. Uh, so I kind of think maybe you just mix it up. Uh, you do, you do what feels good. Maybe you wear them on, on Saturdays, you wear a suit in the midweek game. You don't like, I don't know where, where are you at on it? I mean, I'm someone who's just like sees, you know, fashion as, as freedom of expression. So I'm happy that kind of coaches are, are, are doing what they want. I, I think it also kind of like tells you a little bit about the personality of coaches. Like, uh, when you see a coach, you know, wearing a suit or like when you see Nate Oates, who's wearing like a jacket, but, you know, not a tie or um, you see like the Gators coaching staff wearing something Jordan brand that's really cool and, and awesome. I think it's just kind of like it's just a chance for for not only like individual coaches to kind of show their personality, but also like teams um, to kind of like how do you want to brand yourself between like, hey, are we a suit and tie kind of team? Um 
uh, and even just the difference between like, if you're wearing a suit and tie, like some of the guys that are, that are wearing um, kind of more interesting fitted stuff. And some of the guys that are wearing that, like, it looks like, you know, um, almost a uniform in like, you know, uniform suits through that, through the staff and um, for Florida to get to showcase some of the cooler Jordan brand stuff that I'm sure you can't even buy. Cause it's just for the, the coaches who are looking awesome. Um, I think it's really cool. So I, I would hope that there's not like an sec wide thing. I think I was, I forget who I was listening to some sec coach was, was on a podcast recently and, and said that he'd like to see the sec coaches go back to, to suits. But anyways, um, I, uh, I, I, I like seeing the variation, but I mean, I'm, I'm also a guy who like, you know what, Neil, I think in my high school coaching career have worn a suit once and I only own one suit. So I'm definitely not much of a suit guy myself, which maybe, uh, uh, maybe is maybe is my bias where like, I personally would rather be in some of the like Jordan stuff that Eric Pastrana is wearing on the sideline um, versus a suit. But maybe if I had the money for $10,000 stuff, like, or Stackhouse, who certainly has to get stuff catered for his NBA body. Um, yeah, that's uh, may- maybe there's my bias, but what what is your, what is your coaching attire, Neil? So I like the quarter zip. Like I'm going to be honest. Like I prefer the quarter zip over the suit. Like you know, but I I'm with you. Like I think that that's an important point. Like if I had the discretionary income to just be like, you know, let me go to Brooks Brothers and buy some stuff that looks that makes me look like John Calipari. Like, you know, I'd probably do that, you know, but, but I, I do, I like the, the quarter zip, um, you know, and I think uh, I saw Billy Donovan and Greg Popovich were on uh, team quarter zip on NBA.com here. They were pulling the, uh, pulling the coaches as to what. Um, so, you know, when even pop wants to wear the quarter zip now tells you where a lot of these coaches are at, but yeah, I like your point, Eric, a freedom of expression. And maybe that's why I appreciate Stackhouse so much. Like he's just going to be him. Um, And I think he's doing a nice job at Vanderbilt, to be honest. I think so too. Again, like I think that their talent is, is, like, I don't know what's, what's kind of going on because every year I I watch what they do schematically and I, I really like it. And I do think that he has maybe just had, a lot of good X's and O's, but he's kind of struggled to, to really kind of put it together and, and just kind of realizing that the college game is, is different than the NBA. Um, and then, I mean, I didn't love when he kind of called out his players. I th- was that last year or the year before where he was kind of calling out players by name for not being good enough. Yeah, was kind of, that was last so I, year. Yeah. Um, that obviously wasn't a direct quote. I, but uh, you know, I didn't love that. And that was one of those things where it's about like, what he did. Yeah. So, but, but again, like just looking at kind of his, you know, raw X's and O's, I, I, I think that there, there's two, I mean, there's guys for, for years that were saying when he was in the G league and an NBA assistant, he was kind of always popping up on those lists of like, who would be the next, you know, NBA head coach or first time NBA head coach. So he was kind of, you know, his name was, was in there for a reason. So I think it is cool for like, of all the kind of coaches that could be at Vanderbilt. I, I love that. That's like, you have the personality of like former NBA star who also brings like, watching what he does so much NBA style offense and defense to, uh, to college. I, I really like that. And, you know, one more thing about the discretionary income and, and, and suits, like the one thing that just like, I, I just watched, you know, in awe thinking about if only I had the money to manage that is like sweating through those shirts that need to be dry cleaned who like, like, I mean, it, it gives me like secondhand stress thinking about like, you know, if I sweated through a shirt like that, what I'd have to pay to, you know, get that thing professionally clean. So uh, that's the other thing too, about these coaches that, you know, they're sweating through jackets, sweating through dress shirts. It's like, Oh, 
I, uh, I would need to have a lot more, uh, a lot more in the bank account to, to want to do that. But um, then you also have the dramatic ability to take off your jacket and put it back on, depending on, you know, you can take the tie off. There is some versatility that that allows you, but um, you know, it's, it's one of those things too, that like the less coaches that wear suits, the, the cooler it is for, for Jerry Stackhouse. So um, I, you know, I'll, I'll reiterate, I'm into the, I'm into the variation. Yeah, no, that's great. All great points there. And you know what? If Stackhouse is going to, like, if you're going to call out players, at least have scored like 15,000 points in the NBA that have been like a two time NBA All Star. If you're going to like call out players individually for their effort, like, don't be like Tom Green and like lose by 40 at Auburn. Um, I guess they ended up losing by 23 because Bruce was kind enough to put his, put his walk ons in with like seven minutes to go. But, um, <laughs> But like, you know, like Tom Green calling out their effort last night is just the classic, uh, you know, that's classic Tom Green. Whereas at least Jerry Stackhouse, while not a Hall of Famer, had like an illustrious and long NBA career. Uh, and so like, you know, maybe he kind of knows what what it takes to be really good. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, uh, I enjoy what he's doing at Vanderbilt. They are certainly leagues ahead of where they were. Uh, in the Bryce Drew era, I think. So uh, making progress at a program that I think should be pretty good. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those kind of teams that's like, you know, if, if Stackhouse were to leave, like I, I wonder what kind of coach they'd get to take it over. So um, I hope we don't see that. I hope he stays there for a little while. And um, also going back to the Tom Crean thing, I think that, uh, of course, our, our favorite SEC fans now, the Auburn uh, meme brigade who goes after the uh, um, who goes after those uh, score graphics put up by the other team and uh, and you know replies with a thousand deep fried memes um, the the combination of that with Tom Crean made for some amazing content so I would uh, if you haven't gone and looked at that you should definitely I mean I'll, honestly after every Auburn game that they win you should go look at the the memes that their fans post and and hey also shout out to uh, uh, I forget who it was, but, uh, you know, someone, it was, it was quite the honor for the podcast here to get deep fried and put into a, put into a meme following Florida's win last night. That was hilarious. And, and, you know, love that one. Yeah, no, that was fantastic. So uh, I'll let Eric uh, sign us off. Thanks for listening. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.